Today on the show, lies people tell you using numbers to try to get you to do something you really shouldn't do. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the broadcast podcast YouTube channel where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses while controlling risk. So if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things. I talk to interesting people and I answer your questions every week right here. So be sure to hit like, be sure to hit subscribe and let's get to it. So um, somebody through a comment asked me about a particular book that is heavily promoted online and uh, asked me what my opinion was of the book. And I had never read it. So I downloaded it on my Kindle and I read the book and uh, I was pretty much uh, aghast uh, at what I read. Um, and so I could have come on here and made a video about that person, the author, or about the book in particular. But instead, what I want to do is I actually want to take um, an example that the author had used, and I want to take it apart, and I want to show you guys how to really look at these things, because this is not the first time I've seen this mistake or trick happen uh, in something put out there about buying businesses. And so I want you to get your critical thinking hat on and, and sharpen your pencil and maybe even take some notes and learn this stuff so that you can spot when people are trying to pull this sleight of hand with you uh, and so that you won't fall victim to it. So I've got a presentation here that, uh, that I've got on the screen and I'll try to be as descriptive as possible for people that are listening in the audio stream. But um, in this example, they describe a company that has a seller's discretionary earnings of $216,000. So SDE is the total uh, amount of cash flow available to an owner operator that works full-time in the business, okay? And then the author says that the multiple, the valuation multiple for this business is 3.2 times SDE and giving it a price of 691,000. He then says, additionally, there will be inventory and operating and working capital of another 200,000 and then closing and legal costs of 50, and this makes a total need for the acquisition of 941,000. Now, when I read the first two lines describing the deals, this deal, I knew right away that this person actually doesn't have a whole lot of experience in this space. The multiplier is too high. Um, the fact that he talks about an extra $200,000 of inventory and working capital added on top of the multiplier indicates that he doesn't understand enterprise value. Um, and doesn't understand normalized net position in working capital and how it plays into enterprise value. So right off the get-go, there, there are problems with this deal, but let's, let's keep going. So then he describes a total need of $941,000. And then he says, uh, it's an American example. So he says he's gonna get an SBA loan for 90% of that need, and he's gonna put in 94,120. And then this is how he describes the, the position that it puts him in. The investor invests $94,120 and gets $216,000, okay? So if we take $216,000 and we have $94,120 and I divide one into the other, I get a 229.49% ROI from buying a small and medium-sized business. Amazing, right? So this is clearly... Uh, an extremely lucrative and profitable proposition. And um, <clears throat> there are a lot of problems with this, okay? And, and let me start tearing this apart. So, so why on earth would he feel the need 
<clears throat> to put something like this in the book? Well, if I were to ask the average person on the street, what kind of return on investment do you earn from investing? Many people would probably have an idea perhaps of what like, you know, the historical average was for mutual funds. They might say, well, maybe you earn like an 8% return or a 10% return or the stock market has averaged, I don't know, 10, 12, whatever percent return, right? And so people have a general idea of what kind of rate of return investing should yield. And so when they're presented with something like this that shows this vastly higher rate of return from this little known you know, thing, secret thing, buying businesses, then it can be enticing to people who've never really considered buying a business before, which I believe is the goal of the person's book, is they're, they're trying to pull people into this space who might not normally have a desire, willingness, or inclination to explore uh, acquisition entrepreneurship as people uh, increasingly are calling it, right? And so, so let's tear this apart and see exactly what I think is a big problem with this. So he's talking about return on investment. And one of the things that you will have to do if you ever want to borrow money to buy a business is you will need to create some kind of opening balance sheet that you will be able to present to a lender so that you can demonstrate what the position of the business will be on the day that you acquire it. So um, I've got here um, assets on this side. So we've got our inventory and working capital of $200,000. And then we have our stuff and goodwill, everything else for 691. And it totals 891,200. These are the assets of the business once you buy it. And then over here, we have a loan of 847,000. And we have this share capital. This is your cash that you put into the deal. And then we have negative 50,000. Why? Because well, we had an expense on the first day of the closing and legal costs. And we haven't owned the business you know, more than 24 hours yet. So we haven't had a chance to make any money. So on this day, we have lost 50 grand on our current earnings, okay? Because the balance sheet has to balance. So where on the balance sheet do we see our investment? Well, we don't really see the investment on the balance sheet. Um, what we do see, the only number in fact that we can identify that is the same as from before is the loan and the share capital. Now, the share capital though appears under this section called equity because that's what it is. It's the equity the owner has put in. It's not the investment. I'm gonna ask the question here, how much was invested? I'll ask it in a different way. If there was an apartment building for sale for a million dollars and you had $100,000 and you went to the bank and borrowed 900,000 and you bought the building for a million dollars, how much did you invest in real estate? Right, right, okay. So the investment is actually this number that he described as the need, okay? It's the 941,200. That's the amount of money that was invested in this operation. And so why, why would he present ROI in this way? And, and now we've understood that it's not really return on investment, it's actually return on equity. Well, let me ask you a question. What's a good return on equity? Aha, far fewer people have any idea what a reasonable return on equity would be, unless you're some kind of analyst or you spend a lot of time like really looking at stocks or, or other things. And then the question is, what's a reasonable ROE for a privately traded small business? Dunno, right? So 
by taking the ROE number and presenting it as ROI, we are getting people in, our, in their minds to think that this is much a much sweeter deal than it really is. Let me get further in because we're, we've got more to go. Okay. So I'm going to scroll over here. How much was invested? Now we know it was actually almost a million. But the question then is, what is the return, return on the investment? So now that we know that the investment was actually much higher, let's analyze the other half of the statement, the, the return. So seller's, discretional, uh, seller's discretionary earnings is the total owner benefit, in, but you have to work full time in order to get it, right? So is that a return on investment? No, it isn't. It's a return on labor. And what do we call the return on our labor? We call it wages or salary, right? We go to work every day. Our boss pays us. Well, if you happen to own the company you work for, should you not be paid a salary that is commensurate with what you're doing? Of course, right? And so I took the SDE, 216000 and then I've, I'm just assuming here a fair market wage of hundred grand. I don't know what this business is that was never described. And then I get a normalized EBITDA of 116000 so a lot of people who first start looking at buying businesses, they think that this SDE number is like the money they're going to get in their pocket at the end of the year. It's not. In order to get SDE, first you have to get the EBITDA, then you add back any wage or what have you and get the total available discretionary earnings. It's, it's not a great measure of cash flow, but it's all we have to compare one business versus another. And so the other things that are not included in the SDE are the owner's wages, but then also interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization are all added back too. So I've made multiple videos about, about this and the problem with this. Um, and uh, I'll even link to one about uh, Warren Buffett and you know EBITDA that I've made a few weeks ago. So the actual return on an investment after you take a fair wage is only $116,000. So if I look at my true investment, 941,000, and I look at the return, 116,000, my actual re return on investment is 12%, okay? So we got, Houston, we have a problem. Is that what we should say? Houston, we have a problem, 12.32%. So what is the problem with that? Well, now we've uncovered that this awesome deal is actually only yielding us you know, somewhere in the league of what publicly traded stocks might yield. What's what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that we're putting money into a highly risky endeavor. Small businesses are one of the riskiest asset classes there are, and we're only going to earn ourselves the same kind of rate of return as if we put our money into like Coca-Cola stock or something like that. That's that's not good. That's not good. And it gets worse here. Let me, let me go back, like, let me go back. And this book has sold tens of thousands of copies, I'm sure. So if we wanna know the true return on equity, okay? Because remember before there was a bait and switch between return on investment and return on equity. Here we have equity of 94,120 and we have a return of 116,000. So the ROE is actually 123.25%, okay? So some of you might be thinking, oh, well, that's still great. You know, still a good ROE. Here's the problem, though. Um, we haven't paid the bank. So I did a little calculation down here. I assumed a 5% interest rate and a 10-year loan. 
which would give payments of almost 10 grand a year. So annual, almost 120,000. Does anyone see a problem here? Look at this, $119,000 of debt service payments, but my normalized EBITDA is only 116,000. So where's the difference gonna come from? There's not enough cash flow here to pay the bank, right? Well, easy, the difference comes from your pocket, Mr. Owner, because you just bought this business and paid way too much, right? Here's another question. Where are you gonna get the money to pay your taxes? <laughs> Debt service is not an expense, only the interest part is. The principal payments are part of your profit. So in this situation, and, and this is an American example, so I would have $100,000 if I was the buyer, $100,000 of uh, SDE, uh, fair market wage cash flow I'm paying myself. And then I would have all the principal portion of my debt service, that would all be profit. And then I would have to pay taxes on that. That would also come out of my wages, right? We got another question for you. Where would you get the money to replace old, oops, old equipment? Cut off there. Where would you get the money to replace your old equipment? Because depreciation and amortization are how accountants represent the fact that machinery and equipment is wearing out. And we're now talking about somebody signing up for a 10 year loan where there's literally no wiggle room at all for anyone to acquire new equipment or add on more debt service if you wanted to lease or buy a new piece of equipment. So th this would be a classic example if you were to do this deal um, and then reach out to me a year later, which unfortunately some people do. Um, they do a deal like this, they reach out to me, they can't figure out what went wrong. And when I peel it back and I analyze the deal, I show them that they overpaid tremendously, overpaid tremendously. In fact, this example details uh, somebody who's probably paying close to double what they should be paying for this business, right? So why is an example like this being held up as a great opportunity? Well, if you went out into the marketplace and you were willing to pay this kind of price, you would certainly be able to do a deal because there are all kinds of sellers who would take this kind of deal because it's it's a lucrative offer for the sellers, right? And, not, and then the position that you would put yourself in is you would be over leveraged, you would have no room for any kind of mistake. Ace, I've talked a lot about how businesses are asymmetrical systems. If you were to buy this business and have a 10% sales drop, you could have a much larger than 10% drop in your profits. Guess what? You would have no salary. So you better be married to a doctor or a lawyer or someone who can carry and float all the bills at home if you're going to do a deal like this. So just wanted to break it down. If you want to develop the skills to really pare these things down and, and to create really awesome kick butt cash flow forecasts and stuff like that, then uh, you should be doing my cash flow forecasting and business plan writing course. It's available over at bizplanschool.com. And it's it's a long course. It's well, people who have taken it have described it as a college level program. And it totally is. I teach you how to start from a blank sheet and build a cash flow forecast, and then produce all the financial statements, income statement, balance sheet, et cetera, opening balance sheet, and all the things you're gonna need and how to put that into a business plan, which templates are included, and I show you how to put it all together. Um, and there are five different sample companies that we follow through the whole program. A couple of them are startup, a couple of them are acquisition. And it's like, if you, if you were to do, 
business buyer advantage, my cash flow forecast, and sign up for a year of business buyer adventure in my group coaching program, you would still save a thousands of dollars over signing up for the program this guy's promoting. And that's what the book is. The entire book is cheerleading for the idea of buying a business designed to convince someone who might not normally want to do this, that this is something they should pursue so that they will buy that program. Okay. In my experience, people who get out and successfully buy businesses are people who develop themselves. They have some kind of business experience through being an employee. They've always harbored a desire and a, you know, a dream of having a business one day. And, and that dream has guided them in their professional pursuits towards building skills and, you know, like developing their talents and saving up money so that they put themselves into a position where they can approach this from, from a power position where they can level up through acquisition. It's not something that somebody does because they're looking for a higher rate of return, right? There are other things you do when you're looking for a higher rate of return, like the things I've described in my book, Invest Local. Um, if you're going to become a business owner, it's got to be driven by an internal motivation and a passion and a desire for wanting to do this because it's going to help you not only to achieve financial goals, but to help fulfill certain aspects of your personality that you know will never be fully fulfilled or make you happy unless you have this level of control and self-determination in your life. Anyway, I hope I don't get too many haters, but uh, if I do, take a look down in, in the comments below and, and help me out, will you? Anyway, we'll talk to you later. And uh, with that, see you next time. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site, davidcbarnett.com, where you can learn more about me, learn how I work with my clients. You can learn about my books, courses that I prepared for you. You can also find out all about how to subscribe to my email list, the YouTube playlists, etc. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there, all for free, and I'd love for you to be my guest.